This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. We're almost to the end of our series on the Psalms. Uh, next week will be the last uh, Psalm that we preach on. And we have been saying all along that the Psalms teach us how to pray. And so with each Psalm, we want to ask the question, what's the lesson that this Psalm is teaching us for how to pray? What's the lesson of Psalm 136? Well, Psalm 136 teaches that praise and thanksgiving are to be the emphasis in our life of prayer. There are many kinds of prayer, many ways to pray, and all of them are good, but praise and thanksgiving are the best and highest. And if you wonder why is that the case, look no further than the second line of every verse. This psalm abounds with a resounding and emphatic repetition the answer to the question. We should thank God and give Him praise. Why? Because His love has no end. Indeed, the point is so made that before the end of the psalm, you're beginning to wonder, is this the psalm that endures forever? <laughs> but of course, that's the idea. Uh, my friend Justin Long, he used to attend here years ago. You remember Justin? He was fond of saying, repetitio est mater studiorum which is Latin for repetition is the mother of learning. After praying the psalm and indeed chanting the psalm today, you will never forget that the steadfast love, the kindness, the mercy, the faithful, loving kindness of God endures forever. God's love has no end. So for you today, the lesson of Psalm 136, how it teaches you to pray is this. Because God's love has no end, make prayers of thanksgiving the centerpiece of your life of prayer. Let me say that again. Because God's love has no end, make prayers of thanksgiving the centerpiece of your life of prayer. But you know, it's always easier to grumble and complain and focus on the negative, isn't it? In high school, I would frequently have people ask me, hey, Brett, what's wrong? When nothing was wrong, I was generally a pretty happy kid. Eventually, I had to start telling people, there's nothing the matter. It's just my face. <laughs> Apparently, I just did not have a cheerful countenance. Or maybe I was deep in thought. I'd like to go with that theory. But even now, people ask me how I'm doing, or I check in with Julie at the end of the day, how was the day, and I know that I'm supposed to respond with gratitude and cheerfully recount one of the many good gifts that I received that day, of which there are many every day. But in the moment, I can't think of one. I can only think of the frustrations or the problems that I face today or will face tomorrow. And I'm sure I'm not the only one in here. Why is that? Why is it so hard to be naturally thankful? And I'd say that this is as true in my conversations with God as it is in my conversations with people. Why? Well, maybe a couple reasons. One, we're fallen. And one of the side effects of being sinners in a fallen world is that we are turned in on ourselves. It's hard to be thankful to God or to others when you're focused on yourself. I think another reason, though, is since it's true that essential to God's nature is His never-failing love, 
And core to our nature is this posture of thanksgiving and praise to God. If these are essential to who God is and to who we are, then we can be sure that our enemy, Satan, is going to target precisely these things. The evil one fills you with fear and anxiety about all your problems, holding them up in front of your face constantly, and about all the problems of the world, because he knows that fear and anxiety make it really hard to be grateful. He knows that seeing the problems of our lives and being aware of so much of the suffering and the problems of the world all around makes it hard to believe that God's love has no end. And maybe you're like me, and you'd say, God, I know I should be more grateful, more grateful to you for all you've done for me, but it's hard when there's a big, scary thing right in front of me, and I don't know what to do or how to handle it. Or, Lord, it's hard to praise you when there's so much trouble in the world. God graciously understands these objections, and he shows us what to do. So the pattern of Psalm 136 is that he draws our attention first to creation, where his goodness and steadfast love can be seen in what he has made. Then he turns our eyes to salvation, to see his saving deeds, which also reveal his goodness and love. And the promise for you is this. If you will dwell long enough on his wonders in creation and his mighty deeds in salvation, if you do that long enough, you will find the objections answered, your soul quieted, and you'll find praise and thanksgiving begin to flow like the turning of the tide. Today we'll look at Psalm 136. We'll see how it invites us to meditate on God as creator and God as savior as the basis for generating our prayers of thanks and praise. But first, a few notes. So let's look at the text here. Psalm 136 in Jewish tradition is called the great psalm of praise or even the great thanksgiving. And if you pay attention in your bulletins, as we turn to the table, you'll see the heading, the great thanksgiving. Verse 1 reads, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And that verse or variations of it is found throughout the Psalter. And indeed, at key moments in Israel's life, we'll see this phrase appear as the Israelites join in singing, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he's good and his love has no end. They sang it when Solomon created the built the temple and they dedicated it. They sang it again when under Ezra and Nehemiah, the foundations of a new temple were laid. Three times at the beginning and once at the end, we're told, we're instructed to give thanks. But it's really more than just those four times. Because in eight verses, we see the verse begins with, to him. And we are to understand that that's an abbreviation, telling us that before the to him should be the words, give thanks. So look at verse four as an example. It reads, to him who alone does great wonders, but we are to think 
Give thanks to him who alone does great wonders. Or verse 5, give thanks to him who by understanding made the heavens. Or verse 6, to give thanks to him, and so on. Eight times throughout the psalm, the verse begins to him, but we're to hear give thanks. And so together with the other four, that's a total of 12 times we are instructed and called to give thanks, to praise the Lord. And 26 times we hear because his love has no end. Now look at the beginning of the second half of any verse, and really any verse will do, because they all begin the same way. That little word for, it's really important, could also be translated because. Have you ever been around a three-year-old when they're in the height of their why phase? Of all my kids, Toby had the worst case of why-itis, one day I was in the mud room and he and Teresa were outside and coming in. I didn't hear the first part of the conversation, but I just heard an exasperated Teresa walk in the door and say, I don't know, Toby, that's just the way God made the world. <laughs> Psalm 136 is perfect for three-year-olds. Why did God make the heavens and the earth? Because of his love that never ends. Why did God make the sun and moon? Because of his love. Why did he save Israel from Egypt? Because of his love. Why did he give Israel a land as their heritage forever? Because of his love. And why are you here this morning? Because of his love. Why did God give you breath today and raise you up from your sleep? Because of his love. Why did God want you to exist at all? because of his love. Why did he rescue you? Because of his love. And why does God invite you to live with him forever? Because he is filled with love for you that is eternally deep as it is eternally long. And there is not a moment of eternity that he doesn't want you to be with him. So now let's together look at verses 4 to 9 and see how this psalm invites us to meditate first on God as creator. I'll just read the first half of these verses. Give thanks to him who alone does great wonders, who by understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights, the sun and the moon and the stars to rule over the day and the night. Why? Because his love has no end. These lines are either paraphrases or direct quotes from the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. And the reasons to praise the Creator are all around us. If you're feeling cranky and scrunched living in such a highly developed area, well, go find the nearest oak or maple and just stare up at it for a minute and see what happens. Or contemplate mountains and rivers, the sea and the sky, the sun, the moon, and stars of millions of galaxies, and know that they were all brought into existence by the word of God and the breath of his mouth. And we praise God not just for his power in making all these things, but for the goodness of the things that he has made. We thank God not just that the world exists, but that it is beautiful majestic, and that the world God created is the means by which we eat and drink and breathe 
and our very life is sustained. The world God made is good. The world God made is abundant. The world God made is beautiful. I remember when I was a youth pastor taking the, the students on a camping trip, and we were out far enough into the countryside where at the night, in the dark of night there was no light pollution, and that night was a particularly bright night for the stars. Um, there were just millions of stars above, and as we stood at the edge of a meadow of tall grass, there were hundreds or maybe even thousands of fireflies flying around in the tall grass and in the stand of trees about 100 yards away. And so it looked like there were stars in the firmament above and living stars in a firmament right at our feet. It was magical. We laid on the grass and just stared up at the heavens. We sang some worship songs. And then one of the students said, let's, let's conclude with the doxology. And as we sang the amen of the doxology, a big, fat, shooting star streaked across the middle of the sky. It was incredible. I'll never forget it. I told that story once during a, an all-night vigil sermon, and one of the students who had been on that camping retreat was right there in the front. I said, Madeline, do you remember that? She said, no. <laughs> po points to Madeline for her honesty. But I'll never forget that night. It was amazing. One way to make prayers of thanksgiving the centerpiece of your prayer life is to be in creation. Go outside. Hike in the forest preserves. I know many of you love to garden. Beauty is everywhere if you look for it. But don't just admire. Admire, but then also pray. Use that as a a prompt for you to give thanks and to praise God. Put words to your lips and say, wow, God, the colors in the sky are just beautiful right now. And you are beautiful. Thank you for this moment. Read about the natural world in articles of newspapers and magazines. My kids for school, they have this school book, Children's Atlas of the Universe. It's all about Space And I just flipped through that thing, and there are dozens of reasons on every page to be in awe and to give thanks to God for all that he has made. Or watch BBC's Planet Earth and tell God that he's awesome for making all the amazing and funny creatures that you will see. And when it comes to contemplating creation, here's also something very important. Give thanks for your life, for he made you. Give thanks for the air that you breathe, the food that you eat, the clothes that you wear. Give thanks for the roof over your head. Try to do this every day. Some of you have a really hard time doing this. You're overwhelmed instead by the people in the world who are suffering. You are anxious but you almost feel that you have a moral obligation to be anxious, that it would be somehow improper or indecent or a failure of compassion if you were to have peace while others are suffering. Let me just say that's a lie. You do not have a moral obligation to be anxious. In fact, according to Psalm 136, you have a moral obligation to be grateful. Um, I was hearing uh, Catherine teach a week ago at our healing 
training, and she said, they have found, research shows that the feeling and the expression of gratitude is equal to a single dose of an antidepressant. So it's actually better for you to be grateful. You have a moral obligation to do so, or a better way to say that, the Apostle Paul really meant it when he said, be anxious for nothing. And when Jesus said, my peace I give you, he really meant for you to be at peace, to have contentment, and to exchange that for this insatiable guilt for all the problems in the world about which you can do so little. His desire for you is not guilt, but gratitude. And yes, the open hand of generosity when opportunity arises for you to share what you have been given with a neighbor. We are called to be compassionate, but whatever compassion looks like, it cannot be accompanied by anxiety or else it's not the compassion of Jesus. Jesus was the most compassionate human being who ever lived, and he was never anxious. So if, you, if your care for the world leads you to anxiety, that's a clue that something is missing, something is off. And ask the Lord to show you what's wrong about my compassion. And he will lead you to understand how to have compassion for the world, but also maintain and guard that, tre that treasure of peace that is yours to have. And I do believe that the first step to that almost always will be his invitation to you to step more and more into praise and thanksgiving. When the burdens of the world begin pressing in, press back and prophetically resist anxiety by thanking God and praising him. And you can do that beginning with the wonders of creation, the good gifts that have come to you from the world that God has made. It is a good world. It is a beautiful world. It is an abundant world. Alongside creation, God also reveals his goodness and love in his mighty saving deeds. Verses 10 through 16 are about Israel's deliverance from slavery. And again, I'll just read the first parts of each verse. Give thanks to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm who divided the sea in two and made Israel to pass through it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea and who led his people through the wilderness. Why? Because his love never ends. His love has no end. Verses 17 to 22 these describe the first victories of Israel after their years of wandering in the wilderness just before they enter the promised land. So verse 17, give thanks to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sion king of the Amorites and Og king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage to Israel his servant. Why? Because his love has no end. Israel was enslaved by the most powerful kingdom on earth. And God delivered them and then kept them alive in the desert with miracle food and miracle water. He taught them how to love him and to follow him. And when they broke his heart again and again and again, he showed mercy and forgiveness. He did not treat them as their deeds deserved. That's love. That's goodness. He took former slaves 
still largely powerless and definitely homeless. And he empowered them to defeat mighty kingdoms and gave their land to his people to be a home forever. That's love. That's goodness. And then looking ahead to Jesus, with a strong but nail-pierced hand and outstretched arms upon the cross, he brought you out of sin and death and out from under the curse of hell. And now he watches over you, and he leads you through the wilderness of this life, feeding you every week with miracle food and drink. And even though time and time again we break his heart and we go astray, he does not treat us as our deeds deserve. Indeed, his love for us has no end. And this God is still in the business of taking former slaves and homeless wanderers and bringing them into his family, saying, I go to prepare a home for you, a place in my Father's house, so that where I am, you will always be. Indeed, his love for you has no end. So along with creation and meditating upon creation, also remember God's saving deeds. Give him thanks for rescuing Israel. Thank Jesus for dying on the cross for you. Recall also those smaller deliverances and answers to prayer in your own life. So instead of Og and Sihon, recall when God healed your broken heart, when he rescued you from your doubts and brought you back into faith. Remember when he delivered you from that besetting sin. Because again, we focus more on the prayers that are yet unanswered or the sins that still beset us, and we forget to turn our eyes to what he has done. Psalm 136 t tells us, focus on the victories first. Something else I want to point out about Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. When you go back to the story of Israel, you see that these two kings and their kingdoms were just outside of the Promised Land, across from the Jordan River. At this point in the story, they had defeated Og and Sion, but they still had all the land of Canaan before them, many kingdoms and kings still to conquer. I think that the reason the psalmist stopped at this point, right? Why did he talk about Og and Sion and those, but not go on to talk about Jericho or when the sun stood still in the sky or the conquering of Canaan? Why did he stop here? I think the reason is so that we can find ourselves in this story. In life, if we have a great victory just behind us, that's great, but isn't it true that there's always another battle right in front of us, just ahead? God told Joshua, you saw what the Lord did to those two kings, so he will do to all the kings in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. What he did in the battle behind you, he will do again in the battle before you. Something else interesting to note, Og, king of Bashan, we're told in Deuteronomy, was actually the last of the giants who lived in that land. And it was the giants and the fear of the giants that kept Israel out of the land before. And now they've just come from defeating a giant and his great kingdom. And the Lord is saying, see, I am with you. What stopped you before 
has not stopped you now. I was with you before. I will be with you again. I was with you in the battle behind you. I am with you in the battle right before you. And this is why Paul in Philippians 4 says, be anxious for nothing, bring your supplications, bring your requests to God, but do this with thanksgiving first. When we remember what God has done for us recently, it builds our faith in him for the battle ahead. What he did before, he will do again. So what is one battle that you're in the midst of or that you will be facing soon? Is there a challenge? Is there a frustration that doesn't seem to give up that is plaguing you in this season? Is there a difficulty? Is there something scary or unknown in the path right in front of you and you know you're going to have to face it soon? Pray about it but do so with taking time to thank God for other victories in your past. He helped you before. He will help you again. There are many ways to pray and all kinds of prayer, but the most important, though often the most neglected, are the prayers of thanksgiving and praise. This week, we have a holiday called Thanksgiving. So I'm going to give you an exercise that I'd like you to do sometime when you're off of work and you have a little bit more time to sit down, be in a clear space. I want you to take 15 minutes, and it'll work best if you've got a prayer journal and you can write it out, although you can do this without writing it out. But prayer journal would be best. Take 15 minutes, and for the first five minutes, just meditate on creation, God's wonders in the world that he has made. And these prayers are so simple. They're the easiest kinds of prayers to pray. God, thank you for fill in the blank. God, I praise you for fill in the blank. Just write it down or speak it out. It's so simple. Think of as many as you can in the span of five minutes and then move on. The next five minutes, praise God for his mighty deeds of salvation. Praise God for what he's done in the Bible. Jesus, thank you for healing that blind man. Thank you for rising again. Praise him also for what he's done in your life. And after five minutes of writing down prayers of thanksgiving and praise about salvation, then take the last five minutes and write down or pray about a big challenge on the horizon. What's the next big battle that you are facing? Tell God about it and ask him for help. The devil is desperate to keep you riddled with fear and anxiety. The evil one is desperate to keep you blind to all the goodness of God evident in the world around you and in your life because he knows that the one who is free of fear and anxiety is untouchable. Jesus is eager to fill you with his spirit and teach you more and more how to pray with thanksgiving and praise as the center and foundation because Jesus knows that this And this alone is the pathway out of fear and anxiety into freedom and the joy of the Lord. May God so fill us with his spirit that our lives increasingly become a resounding refrain of thanksgiving and praise to the Lord, a testimony of his love for us that has no end. Amen.